2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision
1: post-match podcast.
2: Hello again, this is Mean Lean here from arsenalvision.co.uk and this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. In today's show, Elliot, Paul and Tim... We'll be talking about the excellent 2-0 victory at home to Basel. And didn't we do well? I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying the football at the moment. Really enjoying the way we're playing. It's really exciting. And don't tell me to um, don't get carried away. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. Why not? Why can't I get carried away? Everyone, everyone says it. Why is that? I'm not a player. I'm not a manager. You know, if I'm complacent, if I'm excited, it doesn't affect the next result at all here's my opinion, I'm not preaching, hear me out, I'm a fan, yeah, I suppose everyone listening to this podcast is a fan of their team, probably Arsenal, and the point of a fan is to enjoy it, yeah, because it's our choice, enjoy the good times, and when Arsenal playing well, enjoy it, when Arsenal win, enjoy yourself, if you're confident about our chances this season, even though it's really early, it doesn't matter, let yourself go, dream a little that's the whole point of being a fan in my opinion anyway I don't see the point in, in saying "Oh, I'm going to enjoy it a little bit but not too much because it could go really wrong next week what's the point in that I don't, I, don't, I don't get that at all it's basically the same thing as going to a game Arsenal score goal I won't cheer because the other team might equalise that doesn't make sense does it or if Arsenal win a game I won't cheer at the final whistle because next week Arsenal might draw or we might get an injury I don't get that don't understand it. So, the way I'm feeling right now, this is right now, it could change. Things change. And, by the way, if it changes, I won't die. I'll be fine about it. You know, if we don't win the league, I'll be okay. And if we don't win the league, it won't be because I said, oh, I'm really confident about our team. That won't happen. Jinxing, by the way, this is top secret stuff here. Jinxin doesn't exist. So, I'm really happy about our team. Really excited. Really, I, I feel like we're playing football that we haven't played for many, many years. And I think we've got a squad to contest Man City. I said it. I said it. Yeah, but you know, time will tell. Things can change. They've got a very good team themselves, Man City. A lot of teams have, man. Man United have got a very expensive team. Haven't impressed me when I've watched them, but um, they're supposed to have a good manager. A prick, but annoying a good manager, apparently. Uh, So anyway, what's the point in this? Yeah, enjoy the win is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, rambled on enough now. Enjoy the podcast. And don't get complacent about the podcast, please. Ah, it's also The 100th Podcast. Ah, I forgot to mention that. I'd like to thank everyone who's downloaded, streamed or whatever, however you listen to the podcast. Very much appreciated. Your feedback has been greatly appreciated too. It's been going for about a year now and it's been growing. And as I said, yeah, it's been getting good feedback. So that's good to hear. And a big, big thank you to the likes of James, Elliot, Paul, Tim and all the guests who've come onto the show. They've made it what it is. Um, I'm just the intro guy who puts it together. So, uh, yes, enjoy the 100th podcast and hopefully many more to come. Um, yeah, goodbye. Till the next one. Burnley away. That's the one.
1: Basil are faulty at the Emirates. That's a thing, right? Please, like me, English people. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, yeah, it was an awesome, awesome 2-0 victory. It probably should have been 7 or 8 or 9 or 12 or 14 or whatever crooked number you want to put up there. But the football was beautiful. The result was what we needed. The lineup showed that we were taking it seriously. And it's, it's really just all good things right now at Arsenal. By the way, uh, if... Uh, if you are willing to tolerate it, this podcast is being brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com um, where Olivier Giroud can find his next uh, employment. Boo. I'm kidding. We are not brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com, but if I were Olivier Giroud, I'd get on whatever hiring website is out there. Um, enough of my personal agenda. Let's introduce the guests. The first one is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at in my pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo The next is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Lots to get to and not a lot of time to do it. We're going to try to keep this one under two and a half hours. So let's dive in. You know, it's always a little bit scary talking about corners turned and lessons learned at Arsenal. But I think the one thing that was interesting to me about this is just how strong the lineup was. Um, It does look like Ospina is going to be our cupkeeper in, in the CL, but the rest was unchanged from the Chelsea win. And Tim, last season we... We're almost taught the harshest lesson in the Champions League, but managed to get out of the group, recovering a pretty tough situation. What do you think the manager's reasoning was for sticking with an unchanged side at midweek?
3: I think it was uh, for a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, that, you know, that 11 was on to a good thing. It just had a good result. They've just shown signs that, that, that they've clicked, and football moves so quickly – and um, that sometimes we forget that, you know, it was only two weeks ago that we were talking about Arsenal looking like a bunch of strangers. Um, you know, the game against Southampton and at PSG, we were talking about, you know, where, like, what's happening here? This, this team is not connected properly. So it's actually quite a recent thing. And I think you just wanted to keep it going for a start. Um, and I think secondly, I think you're right. He might have learned a lesson from last year where perhaps he rotated a little bit more in the Champions League and possibly took the group stage for granted. And we ended up having to really, really go for a sprint finish to qualify. And yeah. I think he probably just wanted to avoid that. And he's he's probably thinking, well, you know, if we can qualify with two games to go, um, maybe that's a better way of handling it and then perhaps rotating a bit rather than taking the first two games off like we did last year and ending up having to break ourselves just to get out of the group. Also, he spoke, uh, didn't he, after the game about you know the, the importance of topping the group again. And PSG do not look in a good way at the moment. Um, and he probably thinks we've got a really good chance of topping this group. So do you know what? Let's just bloody go and do it get past this round of 16, because I don't doubt there's probably a little bit of a psychological hurdle there. And he's just thinking, if I can just get to the quarter final this year, then maybe, you know, I can break that psychological hurdle and things will be all right. But so I think it's a mixture of both keeping this team together, keeping that fluidity, building that understanding and, you know, getting out of this group with everybody's hearts intact. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think it, it's a pleasure to see us taking it seriously because it's a competition that we pride ourselves on being in. But I, I think your point, Tim, your first point is is the most important one, which is we're, we're on to something now. And maybe the preseason didn't set us up to get off on the right foot for the season. But the way the team is gelling now and the way these partnerships are developing – I think you want to get those players out there on the pitch as much as possible to continue to develop that understanding. I mean, this is really still sort of the preseason, so to speak, of Sanchez playing striker, right? This is the preseason, so to speak, of Shaka now developing his partnership with Cazorla and understanding the way we want to press. It's preseason for that in some ways, and it's working. And the more time that we can get all those players on the pitch doing it, the better it's going to look.
3: So of course, Paul, and, and, you know, yeah, sorry, uh, sorry, just really quickly. Yeah. Someone's going to tweak a hammy or do their big toe or something. And, and so it's still nature,
1: on Twitter. <laughs> so send the abuse there, please.
3: And so nature will probably dictate that at least one or two parts will have to come out you know, for a week or two at a time, we hope only. So, you know, there's not really a lot of point in breaking it up now in order to protect players because you can't protect them for 50 games. So let's get as many games as we can in this 11.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's easy to just say, well, we can't, you know, we can't win the Champions League, so we should just chuck it. But if you're going to be in it, you should go for it. Yeah. And, we know the one thing is if you don't finish top of the group you arguably risk facing a team that's going to be in the final or win the whole damn thing in the round of 16. Um and you want to I think
4: that. positive vibes from the the Champions League. You know, you got you have to play these matches anyway. Mm-hmm. There's no point in playing 95% and putting in 95 right now the 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 positive vibe from that Champions League performance will inform our Premier League performance. I, I fully agree. Uh, I I think Tim's right in everything he said. I just I think like you I'd weight that first thing down as like 97% of why that team played. He wants to he, he he'd almost have been tempted to do that if he had a, a a a League Cup game coming up because he he wouldn't have. But what he really wanted to do was kind of put a marker, set a benchmark for performance. Mm. You know, it, this is a whole other animal, a whole other level of excitement and play that we're all geeked about. I would imagine he's at least as geeked as us and doesn't, it, it's that kind of, you don't want to let it slip through your fingers. And I think he really wanted to nail that. I, I mean, it's amazing we got two games at that level in a row. It was very nice that Basil did its, Chelsea impersonation in terms of how they set up their stall, high line, etc. They must have really loved the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, They must have watched it on tape and said, that looks like a lot of fun. Let's do exactly the same thing at the back because they really gave us the same challenge uh, in terms of how they set up. So it was perfect for us to replicate it, go through it one more, keep that vibe. So thank you very much, Basil.
1: Yeah, we'll take it. I I mean, I think the other thing, Paul, is just that you know, the manager was conservative with bringing his players back to start the season. I mean, Shaka hardly played. You know, he, he didn't rush players back. He gave them time to be ready. And so now they should be able to play every game. Yeah. And there's another... It took a lot of
4: heat for it, and now it's... He's paying back dividends, it. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, again, it's, it's everything, right? I mean, Mustafi came in a little late, so that partnership's yeah. still developing. I think this is all an opportunity now to really... He, if we can use the cliche, go from strength to strength. Um, it is. Let, let me ask you, see you something. See those
4: partnerships all over the pitch. We'll talk about it. But I mean, mm-hmm. you can't look at that that setup and not say, "Oh, look, there's a great partnership forming. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. I mean, it's all over the pitch."
1: Yeah, and and look, we've seen this Arsenal team try to press at times in the past, but it it feels different mm-hmm. to me now. It feels more coordinated, yeah. more intentional. What are the changes we've made, in your opinion, that make the press more effective now than it's been in the past?
4: Well, a, it's official, right? You kind of got the feeling in the past it was kind of uh, initiative from various players, and that maybe they weren't surrounded by the right players. Mm. And now, with Theo being one of those players, you have it right across the front line with the Woby, uh, Alexis. I've always rated uh, Ozil as a sneaky presser. You know, he he he's very much into it. And um, oh, he's bigger and he quicker
1: than anybody really seems to give him credit for. He's you know, he's not he, a slight player and he, he's not yeah. a slow player.
4: He's a stealth presser. He's going to be in the right place at the right time and and take advantage of it. Cazorla is pretty good. Uh he's not letting the side down at the, and Chaka really impressed me as well in terms of uh we'll talk about him in it in, in but if From that regard, in terms of being on his toes and kind of uh, uh, foot forward, I thought it was very good. Um, But the interview with Koscielny at the end of the game, uh, Theo kind of said, oh, you know, uh, great defense. And then Koscielny says, well, defense starts uh, up the pitch. And then he starts talking about how Alexis deserves a lot of credit. And then he goes into how, uh, you know, when one player presses, they all go with him. And it seemed uh, a very clear statement that that's where he went with the team helping defend. Pressing high up the pitch, uh, forcing turnovers, making their job a hell of a lot easier, one player triggering the press. And Mm -hmm. I think you're seeing it. uh, The other thing that was interesting just is uh, I kind of tried to make this point about Chelsea and Gary Cahill. We all make out it was him screwing up well sanchez almost
1: pulled it off again in this game
4: <laughs> he 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 i think he did it nearly twice and he you know that's what he does it, it's it's not just the guy screwing up sanchez his burst and he knows exactly what he's doing around those players it's a very real opportunity that he triggers so you know if, 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 gary Cal uh, only gets fifty percent of the credit in my book, and and then you talk about what what Sanchez did after he got the ball That's a whole other matter. Mm-hmm. But our, you know that that pressure um, on a high line, and then all the space in behind. I mean, it, what really amazed me was right from the word go, we were right back in that same mode. Uh, you know, yeah, plundering. we didn't start.
1: You know, yeah. we had some soporific starts to matches this season, but. We, yeah. we we've been off on the front foot. I, you know, I think another thing, Paul, that, that you have to take into consideration, though, is that we've tried to press or play high up the pitch before when we had the koscielny murdasacker partnership. But the outball mm. was too easy because if you could get around that first pressure and play long, Murdasacker was really kind of in lost in that space. He would step up and get caught in behind. He would step back, but still get outrun having two very mobile centre-backs who have recovery pace, plus obviously the recovery pace you have with Bellerin, I think makes it harder to just kick long and get in behind the back four. Um, I
4: think that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, you're you're hitting on a point I should have hit, which was uh, you got three... If you want to take it as three lines, defence, midfield, and attack, they all play a role, all of those spacings, especially if the press doesn't work. You can't leave, be leaving huge gaps, so... You're right. I mean, having centre backs, having full backs in position to cover the midfield, uh, if it breaks down, you know, there are basically ten or in the modern game eleven players playing a role in that that press. You're exposing yourself when you push that high up the field. So, uh, to your point, you do it with the wrong players behind it. You're in a whole world of hurt.
1: Yeah, and I think it's you know maybe it's what the manager was hoping for. Um, with uh, uh, Gabrielle, who was a little shaky, but I, you know, I think Gabrielle also had some other challenges. He didn't really get to play with the same kind of lineup, but Mustafi certainly seems to be a fit. Um, Tim, the the w- the way we're playing now is is a delight to see. And just one of the things that we talked about in the previous uh, pod was ball recoveries, and you know, once again. Santi Cazorla had the most ball recoveries at eleven. Granite Xhaka tied with Nacho for the second most at seven. Alexis Sanchez with the third most at six. So you know it shows you that our ball recoveries are coming from midfield and from from our attacking players. And that you know that's really where the press takes its toll on the opposition. Can we fit um,
4: in a Santi appreciation moment at some stage in the pod if you can schedule that? How about just the
1: fact that he he continues to play ninety minutes of every match? I mean he's he he's like a robot right now and. He just...
4: And his defensive contribution. He it, does it's everything. Gro- it, it's almost like a crossover between him and Coquelin, where their two careers, they kind of got together, had a chat and said, I love what you do. That looks really exciting. And the other guy says, I love what you do. That lo- looks really exciting. Because, like, you know, Coquelin headed up pitch. And Santi, especially when Coquelin was around... But he's really grown into his defensive responsibilities. It's almost 50-50 with whoever he plays.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. He's been brilliant. And another guy who's who's been brilliant and is starting to take on the role of, of center forward with more zest and, and understanding is Alexis Sanchez, obviously. And Tim, I think the thing that's so interesting is when he was out on the wing and Giroud was in, in the middle of the pitch— he was isolated at times. He was trying the same thing every time, get it wide, put it on his right foot, try to beat a guy. It wouldn't work. He, he looked a little discouraged. Playing through the middle and having all that space that's created by, you know, not having Giroud standing there, I think has also engaged him uh, intellectually, if I could say to some extent. Mm-hmm. He He's popping up all over the pitch. He's exchanging more passes now with Ozil. He's getting more involved in buildup. He's... he's delivering final balls and running on to the end of final balls. And I think it's giving him more of the kind of freedom and, and engagement that you see from the Chile Alexis Sanchez. Um, how impressed are you with the way he's taking on that role? What's the transformation that you're starting to see there?
3: Um, I, I mean, I think the key thing for Alexis, I, I agree with you that he's kind of intellectually engaged with this because he just always wants to be involved. He always wants the ball. And where he's playing, I mean, that's where you're going to get it. And also, he's got some licence to kind of drift away from that spot. Um, so I think it has re-engaged him intellectually. And I think all of us have thought he's got a lot, if not all, of the great attributes of a centre forward. He protects the ball brilliantly. He's great in tight spaces. The amount of times he, he wriggles away um, with his back to a defender, it's, it's dizzying sometimes, the, the space he's able to create. Um,
4: Cuneguexis, that's my name it's, for him. Well, it,
3: it, it isn't because you see a lot of Aguero, that kind of South American-style centre-forward. You see a lot of Aguero, you see a lot of Suarez there. Just that ability when it looks like there's nothing on, just with one touch and a little twist or a little hop or something, and he's away, and he protects the ball so well. He's not bad in the air. You know, He can bring it down. Um And something that he does that all of the team is doing because... One potential flaw in this team is it's quite small um, because it's all quite technical and it's based on this fast combination play. And what you're seeing from Arsenal players at the moment when the ball goes in the air is they're not really trying to contest the header because they know knowing the ball's not going to go anywhere if they do that and they're probably not going to win it. So what a lot of them are doing is they're, and Ozil's brilliant at this, this kind of just back into the defender a little bit, lean into him, you know, try and get the ball on your chest. And if you can't quite control it, it might just dribble away five to ten yards and, you know, it's not cleared, basically. And he's brilliant at that. He really knows how to use his, his body and his physical strength. And none of this is a surprise because we've seen it all before. I think the doubt was, can you get him to stay up front? And while you've got Theo Walker on the right, that's not so much of a problem. And in fact, it's not a problem at all. I would question if you put someone else other than Theo wide to wide to his right hand side, whether it would work quite as well to be honest. I think Theo means there's always someone potentially in that space. There's always someone that, you know, the defender's got to make a decision about. Do I if I track Alexis then, you know, Theo's like in in good space behind me and and I'm I'm not sure that works quite as well if you've got someone like Oxlade Chamberlain who doesn't quite do the same job, but um, I, I, none, none of it really surprises me. I was, I was quite keen to see it given a few games. Um, and I think what we've seen is with that particular front three, it really, really works. And I think to your point on the pressing as well, you know, Alexis has always been a kind of, you see him all the time, you know, running up to defenders and waving people forward. Um, and actually that's harder to do from the wing whereas if you're the center forward and you do that people people actually follow that instruction now that's kind of the point so when he like when he chases a defender down and he waves people forward people actually listen to him whereas <laughs> whereas when he was on the left and he was kind of perhaps drifted infield and he was a bit out of position and you and you know it must have been a decision for the players and I must have thought well actually he's already out of position there so if I push forward you know does the structure fall apart. Whereas when you're the centre forward, you know, you can do that all day long because to all intents and purposes, when the team don't have the ball, it doesn't really matter where you are. So even if the press doesn't work, it's it's fine. Um, so I think he's he's kind of become, you know, Vengo is very fond of the phrase technical leader um, and Alexis has become a bit of a technical leader um, up front because of this central position, because of what he can do off the ball with the press. Mm-hmm. Um, because the players know that they can give him the ball with his back to goal or with two, three defenders around him and it's not a problem. Um, and actually he gives you a lot of the things that Giroud gives you anyway in that respect, in that you can bump the ball off if you want. I mean, that, that one, two he played with Walcott for the second goal. I mean, that's, that's Giroud's forte, isn't it? Standing on the edge of the area and bumping passes off. Well, Alexis can do that as well. So yes, one of, um, Giroud's USPs. Is effectively filled already by alexis so the only thing you don't have is you know the, the real ability to kind of head the ball but when we play well, a we've game got like walcott this for that well yeah it's it, well, yeah but there you go there you know they're within the, the kind of jest is is exactly the point you've got with the first goal you've got um yeah with the first goal you've got walcott jumping up and heading in across With the second you've got Alexis on the edge of the area, bumping off a 1-2. So, you know, when when it's coming together like that, I, I'm sure we'll get onto this discussion, but it, it does make Giroud seeming increasingly redundant. And I don't mean redundant in terms of let's just sell him and get rid of him, because he's a very handy option to have. But I think we're moving towards um, the stage now where that, he'll eventually fulfill the purpose that we actually bought him for which was to be a plan b
1: yeah Um, because i i don't think you can rotate him into the side because then you totally change the dynamic of how we play but i think you can bring him into a game where it's not working to change the dynamic intentionally right you don't want to do that from the start because you have a clear style now um
4: I think the boss would have trouble not booing Giroud on the pitch right now. He's yeah. so excited well, about the way we play.
1: I took a lot of heat for my Giroud opinions, and they kind of became oh, here we go—they oh, kind of Jesus. became caricatures over time. But it was always that I just didn't enjoy the style of play with him there, and I didn't know that he got the best out of the talent around him. And I think we're seeing now that he's a good player but there's a way of playing without him on the pitch that seems to suit the other players better and and it's interesting the way it's working because y'all we used to talk about oh in a, against a pack defense theo can't give you anything but one of the interesting things is alexis will kind of drift a little bit to the left awobi drifts a little central ozil drifts a little to the left if you look at his heat map a little bit to the left and there's theo kind of staying out on the right channel and Alexis and Ozil and Awobi start exchange, you know, exchanging these intricate little passes on the edge of the area, and the defense kind of gets sucked to it, and there's Theo standing in acres of space suddenly to just run in behind in the channels. Same with Bellerin. Um,
4: and the thing about that uh, park-in-the-bus scenario is Alexis dropping deep and, and, and his runs and his movement, it's very effective for churning the back line. Yeah, of then course. Theo... I mean, look at the. Uh, I, I kind of said the the Chelsea goal Theo scored was actually against a Park bus, and you know he made a first run and pulled Aspillagueta with him that made the gap and and left Bellerin one well, on but look one what made with it happen. Hazard.
1: Yeah, yeah. But also it was it was a Wobie and Alexis and yeah. and Ozil. You know, it's kind of packed together on the left channel, right? Yeah and the defense kind of got sucked in, and that's where Bellerin took advantage of that space.
4: Yeah, so I don't buy the the part. If you're good enough and you move them around, and with uh, Theo and Bellerin on the right wing, while you kind of churn it and knock it around on the left, when the, the, the kind of the ball player's head left, and you got Theo and Bellerin on the right, and Theo moves to the center, you're going to move a lot of buses around. So
1: Yeah, and the interesting thing about Awobi, he's... He doesn't need to be playing through balls and key passes necessarily to be effective. He just needs to be playing those quick one-twos and the, you know, recycling possession deep in the attacking third. And it pulls the defense out of of position. And the thing that really impresses me about him is just the touch. You know, we saw so often this season, Paul. You know, I tweeted this during the game. There were games this season where we couldn't complete a five-yard pass now we're completing 10 of them every minute and just zipping the ball back and forth between you know all the players and you know this is not meant as a Cochrane criticism but I do think the technical quality of Shaka and and Iwobi being in the side you know combined with Alexis centrally and and Ozil they're able, and of course, Cazorla, who you mentioned, they're just able to exchange these short passes, these possession passes, so effortlessly. Is that one of the big changes you're seeing on the attacking side, just the the speed that the ball's moving now and the one-touch uh, passing?
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, let's go to a Iwobi. That boy loves getting the ball under pressure. Doesn't matter how tight the space is. He fancies his chances of pinging the ball back to where it came from, to his side, or just kind of uh, knock it through somebody's legs or you know, ho- use his awkward, bulky frame to hold on to the, the ball. So y- y- you see him. Uh, there's no player, really, who gestures more with his two hands. You know that thing he does where he points to his feet like yeah. we didn't know where <laughs> his feet were? Play it uh, here. Uh, yeah, play it here. Yeah, We get it, it will be. this is what you always ask. For. Like, like so a child like,
3: like pointing to their mouth when they want ice cream.
4: Yeah, so uh, though with a child, you know that food can go anywhere. But with a a wobie, it's always like give it to me at, at my feet. So, um, the the pinging it around, he definitely helps on that side. Our technical quality, I I think it's mostly understanding. I agree with you on the Chaka point, and like after Woodstock, uh, you know we all we all used to sing if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. So. You know, it's it's Chaka's time. I really liked what he did, especially from a defensive standpoint, from a kind of interceptions covering standpoint. He's a little closer to the full the full fitness than I maybe feared he would be. So he covered that side of the game that Cockalan gives you, I think, really well. Uh, but he definitely adds the technical aspect. So now you got six players. Uh that can ping the ball around really comfortably and want it to go faster and faster, well, five. And then there's Theo, who's doing a pretty good job of of hanging in the game, but he's he's really looking for that one-two to spring him in behind. So it's a really good mix. And then behind that, Mustafi, I think, is a huge upgrade in terms of our distribution.
1: You, you know what's uh, ironic, by the way?
4: Yeah. Uh, you know. Sh-
1: Shaka isn't the Coughlin replacement. Kazorla's is the Coughlin replacement, yes. and Shaka is the Santee replacement. Yes. Because when we were playing with Santee and Coughlin, Cough yeah. was pressing high up the pitch, yep. And 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 part of the press, and Santi was sitting deeper and collecting the ball off the back four. It's flipped yeah. now. Um, it has. And that was going to uh, be part of the my nap, oh, Sorry, just yeah. real quick. I was just to finish. Say, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
4: That's really part of my Santee appreciation thing. His ability to to go either way in, in that midfield pair. I mean, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal what he does.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at the pass maps from 11, 10, and 11 on Twitter, uh, it, you know, there's all these huge bubbles that represent lots of passes and strong passing connections, but Santi's standing right up there with Ozil and Iwobi and Alexis. Theo's kind of off on the wing a little bit more, and and Shaka's right there back more towards the the midway stripe, collecting the ball and starting the attacks. And the thing I like is... We're doing I mean in the second half, the last thirty minutes we saw some of this, but we're doing less of the pass it to the fullback, back to the center back, to the other center back, back to the fullback, back to the center back. We now have someone who comes back and receives the ball in Shaka, who turns and finds that player in space, whether it's Kazorla or Awobi dropping deeper or Ozel, and and we're building with vertical passing. And that's something that had dropped out of our game, especially last season. Tim, I guess we should talk goals um even though it feels a little weird to talk about the goals because I think some of our best moves weren't the ones that led to goals. Alexis had some great moves. Um, uh, th- there were a lot of opportunities that didn't result in goals that were almost prettier than the ones that did, but it's two goals for Theo Walcott. There's no chance I'm letting uh, Paul talk about this. So how about you- Cut me off, lads, cut yeah, me off. Yeah, you-, you kill his mic, somebody. Producer, Pro- producer, we-, we don't have a producer. Um, what uh look instead of just if i specifically... just cut in here no you can't <laughs> tim um talk talk about the how about that
3: <laughs> just um, just
1: wax poetic go go for it
3: <laughs> so um i've actually written about him tonight and uh, no doubt by the time oh, this goes out you you've all basket. read it um i mean he looks like a different animal doesn't he and we spoke a little bit about why the system has allowed him to do that and you know effectively you've got Alexis, Urzel, and Awobi all pretty much taking up a number ten position, and Walcott in that his favourite little slip of space between the uh, centre half and the fullback, and he's basically got three guys who are dropping off and and ready to serve him uh, as as his needs require, which which you know is 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 fantastic for him, but. It's, his appetite is its so, so obvious. It's really obvious. And his confidence, the way he took particularly that second goal. Um, and what I really liked about it was that he actually looked for the pass first off. So this wasn't a kind of, oh, I'm feeling really confident and I'm just going to leather it. He looked up for the pass and it wasn't on. And, you know, that was a postage stamp finish. That was such a difficult finish. And um, I thought that, to Saturday. be fair it's
1: one that he's kind of made his he's, signature finish right? he's done it,
3: he's done it a few times before that the gap was minute though um, but yeah you're right I remember one at Blackburn and there have been several. Didn't he score um, like, like three
1: that. of those same finishes against Croatia for England? yeah <laughs>
3: yeah across the goalkeeper. Um, but what I, I really liked as well is when he was on his hat trick you know he stayed very team-minded. he wasn't just hunting for the goal he was still looking yeah. for the pass when it was on. And he just looks like a completely different animal at the moment. And I thought on Saturday against Chelsea, it was one of his best performances for Arsenal. You know, up there with his performance against United last season. And I thought this was a step above even that. Because against Chelsea, what struck me was how hard he was working. Um, and But what struck me this time, he worked just as hard. But he looked so confident and... What that's done for his game technically as well, you no longer, when, when he receives the ball in a tight space, you no longer wince and cover your eyes and think, oh God, he's going to clump this out of play or he's going to let it run under his boot. He looks at the moment technically accomplished enough to riff with, you know, guys like Casola who's popping up everywhere and Urzel and Awobi. He doesn't, he's not just getting on the end of things. He's actually part of the build up as well and he's, he's, he's showing he's good enough to do that. Um, and he was finding some lovely passes as well into the channels to Alexis. And um, you know his his first goal as well was fairly similar in a way. Which by the way, um, the pass from Kazola to Alexis for that first mm. goal was wonderful because he opened out his body like he was going to whip it over to the right, and mm. then tricked everyone by kind of um, lobbing it really over to the left. But you know, and he scored two goals this week. In the centre forward position, uh, where he's kind of come in on a cross, and he's been in the typical kind of number nine poacher role. And one of the things that used to slightly grate with me when he was saying, oh, "I want to play up front," and, and this happens with a lot of players. Uh, lots of footballers are like are obsessed with playing in the centre of the pitch, whether it's central central midfield or centre forward. And you look in a system like Arsenal's, which is very fluid. And, and you know, I used to think about Walker. I used to think, why? Why are you so desperate to play up front? Look at everything that happens for you in that you know, on on that right hand side and you've got so much licence to come inside. Like Freddie Lundberg never whinged about playing centre forward, Pires never moaned about playing central midfield. They just because they knew they had the freedom to pop into those spaces. And I don't know if that penny's dropped with Walcott that maybe actually I can probably get more goals here. Um because if you think about that brilliant performance against United last season, he didn't score. I don't even think he came close to scoring. In fact, I'm not even sure he had a shot. Um, but his performance was so good because it was great, unselfish centre-forward play. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this time, you know, he's on the right and he's getting shots off all over the place. And that was always my bone of contention with him whining about being a centre-forward. And, and, you know, maybe that pen dropped, but even if it hasn't, then that's how things are turning out for him. And I thought he was absolutely fabulous. I thought he was our best player on the night. And honestly, I think that's the best I've ever seen him play. And um, I want more.
1: Yeah, I mean, and by the way, I mean, (laughs) this is why it's kind of stupid to talk about playing through the middle for Arsenal when you have the mobility and sort of tactical flexibility of players like Iwobi and Alexis in the front line because that headed goal came from a center-forward position. I mean, granted, it's a secondary run, so to speak, but Alexis is on the left, and Theo makes the run right down the center and heads it in. Um, As
4: did his goal against Chelsea from the Bellerin cross. Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, he starts out on the right, he plays a pass central, he drifts over to the central position that Alexis had vacated, and he taps in from center-forward position. So there's absolutely no question that they're there's an opportunity to be playing nominally through the middle or notionally Uh, through the middle for for all three of those players. Um, What amazes me –
4: can I just add? What amazes me is how close – no. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Oh, okay. No, no. You guys go. No, no. After you, I insist. (laughs) We were so close to this solution last year. It's like – you know, there's like a revelation. Oh, we have to try out – you know, we have to live with Alexis in the middle for X number of games – and see if it might and yet this was basically what we were doing last year, except Theo through the middle, Alexis from the left, but uh, Theo spent a lot of time moving around or out on the right and Alexis was you know, we, we kept joking about you play Theo through the middle and you get Alexis for free as a striker. I mean the very, very similar approach to this. We had Ramsey on the right instead of a Wobi on the left, big deal. We were so close. It, it's like, yeah. Why did we have to scrap it, give up on it, and then come back to basically this? I know it's different. I know it is a significant tweak, but it's a tweak. It's it's really Theo. You do this from the right, and we'll stick a Woby on the left. But but, but basically, there's, there's another sig-
1: thing to this, and and I think you're you're absolutely spot on, by the way, Paul. But I think. You put Alexis through the middle, and you just involve him in the game more. You involve him thinking about the game, moving, interacting, exchanging, and here's the thing that makes all the difference. I don't care who you like in this Arsenal squad. Alexis and Ozil are our two best players, and the more they are involved and involved with one another, the better we play and the better we will do, as we saw with that goal against Chelsea at the weekend. Alexis Sanchez received 14 passes from Mesut Ozil in this game and Alexis Sanchez played 11 passes to mesodozo. Those were the top exchanges that he had in the game. That's 25 passes exchanged back and forth between our two best players. There was nothing remotely like that when he was playing on the wing with Giroud through the middle, or, or even Theo through the middle for that matter. And I think it's that getting your two sort of mercurial talents to spark together and and see the pitch together and move in concert and connect with each other is just going to open the game up for everybody else um, because they're a step quicker of thought, of foot, of of touch and skill. And it's brilliant to see. And I thought Alexis Sanchez, despite Theo's virtuoso performance, was the man of the match. Um, but I, I, I certainly
4: wanted... think... So I think Theo Theo's the man of the match, but I think Alexis is the biggest factor over the last two matches. I think what he does has made everything happen. I think what's also really interesting, I know you got a a question or a thought, is Ozil in that, interestingly, there are eight players who have more assists than him this year, but that's just a a statistical quirk. Uh, He's still leading in key passes and stuff. But to me, I don't get this obsession with what Ozil did in any game at the moment and this isn't a criticism I might have to say this seven times of him but when you look at all the other players that are doing stuff around the place, we don't have this dependency where you felt before if you stop Ozil, you stop us you know, Alexis is now in much more interesting positions and places to be a playmaker, you got Chaka, you got Cazorla um, you got Iwobi uh, you certainly got Ozil, um, Alexis. The problem is no
1: one understands space the way Ozil does and what he does. Oh, for sure. And, and look, I know it's sort of hipster to say, oh, I mean, what he's, do- what he's doing, you can't see him doing, or he, he doesn't even have to touch the ball, but, but it does make a difference because when we play without him, sometimes the space gets clogged up or there's no one to stitch midfield together to attack. How many times have we said the midfield was miles apart from the, from the front three and the. Ozil finds those connective spaces and and that's where he takes up residence and he moves where the 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 marking players aren't and he, he it opens up opportunities for other players but what I love is when a when a Cazorla or a Shaka gets the ball deeper in midfield Ozil's in that half space making himself available and and it allows us to stitch the play together so while I totally agree with you Paul I think I think that may be sort of the the fulcrum around which all these other brilliant attacking play pivots, if you see what I'm saying?
4: No, I think that's it. And again, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't. No, really no, I, I totally get I'm it. I'm saying yeah, everybody else has kind of come up and found a way to play a role as a kind of part-time playmaker, which, you know, the, the water has, has raised, but Ozil's still doing his Ozil stuff. If you go and have a look at it, but I I would add one thing to your sure. scenario, your synopsis of how we do what we do. I think the the second biggest player at the moment is Kazorla in making that all happen. I think Chaco will become more and more part of it, uh, but Kazorla and Ozil are the guys are the guys who really kind of set our rhythm.
1: I think. Well, that that leads to the next question, and and let me. Let let me just step over to Tim for a minute, and then I'll give you a crack at it also, Paul. But, Tim, if we wanted to see some storm clouds on the horizon, ironically, it may not be injury or losing players. It may be gaining players. And what I mean by that is the return of Aaron Ramsey. Mm. Um, You can't change this lineup right now. But if there's one player that I think the manager would feel compelled to start once he's fit— it's Aaron Ramsey, especially given some of the rumors about a touch-and-go summer where he might, maybe was starting to lose patience with the club for a variety of reasons we don't need to get into, some having to do with injury. Um, how would you advise Arsene to handle the return of Ramsey, and what do you think he will do when that happens?
3: Um, if he was returned so let's say um, he was, I know he's not, but let's say he's fit for the uh, Burnley on Sunday, he'd be on the bench um you don't change this team at the moment don't touch it uh don't do you think do you think the manager would feel
1: the same way i mean again at least for a game or two so so let's just presume for a minute that ramsey was fully match fit had gotten 15 minutes here 15 minutes there and then there's this game coming up at the weekend like that he Mm. there was no denying that he's ready to start ramsey'd been quoted as saying i feel the best i've ever felt i'm ready to start How, how do you think arson would would handle that situation
3: I think for at least a game or two he'd still be on the bench. Um he wasn't I know he's not as established. He wasn't afraid to leave uh, his 35 million pound signing on the bench because he felt Cockerlam was onto a good thing. So I I I know that obviously Ramsey almost always starts. Um but this is something a little bit different um at the moment and like I said natural attrition will mean a change will have to be made at some point. Someone is going to get tired, injured, suspended, all of the above at some point. So it's not like if he left him out for a game or two, well, that's it. He's just permanently banished to the bench. There's going to be some some natural attrition somewhere. And even if there isn't, he's going to have to rotate at some point. For me, at this particular moment in time, and things, like I said, things change very, diff- very, very quickly. Um, you couldn't have imagined us... Couldn't have imagined us having this conversation after the PSG game, but at the moment, if things keep ticking over as they are, the only place I see him is is in one of the wide positions. Um, and actually, I I think that would be fine um, as that kind of uh, kind of secondary playmaker thing. I, you know he doesn't quite do it as well or the same as a Wobi, but um, I I think kind of drifting in from that right hand side and. Or left hand side, um, as the case may be, and creating overloads and things like that. I think that's absolutely fine. Um, and like I said, you know, about Walcott, the same with Ramsey. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be obsessed with playing in the middle. If he comes into a good team and he comes into a pretty free role from the right, which is what he had last season as well. You know, he was starting on the right, but... So you, he but that's right where way. you'd want to see him? I mean... At, at you, this particular moment in time, yes. Instead but, of Iwobi? Um No, no, no. Uh, uh, instead of Theo? No, no. I, personally, I, w- I wouldn't put him in any of them, but I think you've got to expect that, you know, Awobi is still young. This is his first full season. He's not going to be able to play... Every single game. is going to need a breather right. here and there. I wouldn't do he that at gets the moment. subbed
4: every 70 minutes as well. So. It,
3: exactly. Exactly. I wouldn't do it at the moment. I'd keep him going. But that's, at this particular moment in time, that's the only avenue that I see. It's the wrong but, side for him, though, isn't it? Quite. But, possibly, but he can play but, that
1: role. I mean, he, he can play that role. I mean, he has the technical ability to play the way Awobi's yeah. be playing. Because I wouldn't say that, you know, pace is is a huge part of what's of Awobi's contribution right now, you know the, the right. funny thing is I see the player he could most easily step in for as being Kazorla though because if Kazorla is being pushed higher up the pitch to press, you would think Ramsey should be able to do that, and I think yeah. we'd all agree that Ramsey's better in the attacking third than he is further away from goal. So, I mean, it may well be that that Ramsey Kazor that Ramsey Shaka partnership. Take takes over for Kazorla and I mean, yeah. what a tough decision that would be to make.
3: Yeah, big time.
1: A fucking disaster. Paul, Paul we're, we're running out of time, and there's one more topic I want to get to. So, real quick, I mean, what are your thoughts about how you? I mean, let let's do this. Let's assume Ramsey's going to yeah. have to come back into the side. That may not be the case. The manager may have the the backbone to say, "Sorry, this is working. You're not starting." But let's presume for a minute that he doesn't. Where where do you think he'll step in?
4: Can I take the opposite side of it and tell you why I don't think the manager will think he has to do it and will do it? I think yeah,
1: tell me. I mean, I I, I want the, I want to be clear about this. I believe the manager that will has feel been pressure the case. to do it, yes.
4: Yeah, but the manager is going to feel pressure everywhere he looks. That's what's different now. How does he look a Wobi in the eye? How does he look Theo in the eye? How did he look Ozil and Alexis in the eye pulling out... A guy that's making this team tick for the first time. Why would he even want to? You don't think Arsene's realized that he's hit the fucking jackpot here?
1: Well, Ramsey's I, not going to make it easy for him. I, I think he will... It doesn't matter. I think he'll be the squeaky wheel. So what? Well, I agree with you. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, but, you can't but change but my, this lineup right now, that's, but...
4: <laughs> that's not my opinion. I think Wenger's going to think, so what?
1: Well, he's gotta, I, I hope you're he's, right.
4: Hang on. Uh, I mean, I've been pretty consistent on Wenger for this year. This is his year. He needs a new contract. He wants to win. He want, doesn't want to do it over the heads of the supporters. He loves playing brilliant football. He loves have the, having the world say, "You know what? He was fucking right."
1: Yeah. He look, I, I mean, they going to the be He wants to be the team that plays
4: the football. He's look. You don't. We get jealous about Pep Guardiola across the wall. You don't think Wenger does? Why, in God's name, would Arsene Wenger want to swap in Aaron Ramsey just because in previous years, you know, Aaron was a bit of a franchise player and the hope for the future, you know... Well, why why
1: did he play Ozil out on the left for a couple months trying to squeeze Jack Wilshere into the side? I mean, there are players that he favors that he does want to put on the pitch. That's always been a feature of his game.
4: I, I think we always assume that. Based on the fact that he didn't have the options. Sure, he loves Jack. Sure, he loves Aaron. In those days, he what was he giving up when he put Ozel on the wing? We weren't playing that well. We weren't winning. Um, he was still looking for the formula. No, I get it. He, I get it. He fucking found it. I don't. So that's you are making
1: all the arguments for why he should leave Ramsey. No, out, and and I'm, I agree. The I'm question leaving. is whether he will.
4: Yeah. No, I'm actually making all the arguments for why. Not so much should or how I feel why about you it.
1: think he will leave Ramsey. I right.
4: I'm yeah absolutely so
1: well let's do this because I know we're really really short on time because Paul is a hard stop um so I just want to get to this really quickly look. Tim, you tweeted something earlier today that like, oh, I see a lot of people saying, oh, it's only it's only September, you know, let's not get too excited about this. But nobody's, nobody's quick to say, oh, it's only September when we have a heavy loss. And you're absolutely right. And in this one case, I totally agree with you, Tim, in that if you can't enjoy the way we're playing right now, like just fuck off out of football, you, you're missing the point, right? Yeah. I think, you know, now my defense of that viewpoint would be um, it is fair based on the way the past few seasons have gone to be cautious about drawing conclusions from how Mm -hmm. we're playing, but you have to enjoy how we're playing. And so my question for you is simply this. Um, And and I want to just give my personal opinion real quick. Top four, oh, ha, 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 top four trophy, all that. I would have taken top four and the FA Cups and all the things we've had the last few seasons and celebrated them and thanked Wenger for them if we'd been playing this way throughout. The problem has been a few seasons of really dire, mostly dire football that at times has been efficient and productive in getting results but has rarely delighted. The last two matches, if you include Forrest and Hull, the last four matches I think have seen us play better football in on aggregate than we've seen in, in three, four, five seasons. So, mm-hmm. Tim, how important is the quality of football to the appreciation of the manager, the appreciation of the team, and the willingness to accept the occasional bump in the road um, when we're when we're playing this way.
3: It's huge because you've seen it in the first half of his reign. Um, we missed some trophies we should have won. We should have won the Champions League at least once. Um, we lost cup finals. We came second in the league when we shouldn't have blue title races, and that was all in the kind of invincibles era. All of that stuff happened. That shit went down. You know, we let United win the treble when we re- we should have won the double ourselves at least. So
1: Lost to Chelsea in the CL. I mean, yeah, it, you're, you're, it, you're absolutely exactly. right. Exactly.
3: These, these bumps, they happened. Um, but people don't remember that about those teams. And don't get me wrong. It's because they they make more than made up for it with what they actually achieve.
1: But they were also but, the best team to watch in the country.
3: Exactly. And you look at last night. Like last night was 2-0. I mean, really, that's a scandal. It should have been eight, and that's not every, – everyone exaggerates and says, oh, it should have been 8-0, when actually they mean 3-0. Last night, should have been 8-0. That is not that an was exaggeration. was 8-0, yep. I think we created 10 clear-cut chances, and even if you accept no one ever puts away all of their clear-cut chances, that should have been 7 or 8. But nobody's talking about that, and nobody will remember that about this game, and like i said a couple of weeks ago you know the invincibles did that a lot had these amazing performances and only really won 3-0 or 3-1 because they had the game done after 40 minutes yeah. and after that they'd just have some fun um and that happened a lot like that team didn't win 5-6-0 very often and that's what we saw last night like this was 2-0 and really <laughs> on the face of it that's a a bit of a scandal, but no one cares about that because it was so good to watch.
1: It was so good to watch. Tim, let me cut across you just for one second to give Paul two minutes on this. We'll say goodbye yeah. to Paul live and then I'll, I'll come back to you uh, and then we'll wrap up. So Paul, your thoughts on the importance of beautiful football as it relates to just the general joy of the fans, the players, the, the feeling around the club results aside.
4: Yeah. I mean, we've got to get over this shit of, of, we start playing well, and everybody goes into this, oh, but you got to remember. And we fucking know it, right? We've all been through it. We understand these are two great games, and they only mean what they mean, and nothing's guaranteed for the future. And But when pundits go to, oh, this is the same old Arsenal, it might be, but it might not. And my feeling on what's going on at the moment, you know, people will say, oh, we were here last year when we beat United... This no, to me feels a little, yeah. yeah. This feels a little different, uh, for two reasons. One, I look at the depth of options across the different areas of the pitch in terms of midfield, attack, etc. The second thing is, there Wenger uses what was it, uh, steel in style. Um, it just occurred to me as I was about to say this next sentence. There's there's steel in this team that there hasn't been there. There's grit. Um, I I think. This, has, uh, this team has, more so than last year, has a stronger sense of its identity. I think Mustafi could be huge in terms of betting down. I think we all respect Per, but if Mustafi can give us almost everything Per did and great distribution and the same kind of proactive uh, capability that, Kashelny has with all those physical attributes. That gives you a hell of a back line, lots of good midfield options, and, uh, you know, enough attacking options. Um, that's probably the one area we need to see whether we really, like last year's midfield, where we had options, but but they really couldn't carry the water. Uh, we need to see if we've got enough attacking options, if anything Terrible happens to our front three, uh, and the the best support to them. So to me, the real difference is just there's a there's more of a hardness about this team, mm-hmm. a, an identity from mi- from defence midfield, and with Alexis up front instead of Walcott, it's kind of got that more Suarez type aggression about it. In each three areas of this team, there's there's a hardness, a grittiness, and a determination that we didn't have last year, even if the performance of the United game was pretty much at the same level. Yeah. That's, and, that, that's and the and thing I, that really makes me think this season can be different and the depth.
1: Well said. Yeah, thanks, Paul. We'll talk to you soon. You can find Paul on Twitter at pausing in My Pants. He's going to run. I'm, I'm going to come back to Tim for a second here, but I, I think thanks, also... Guys. There, Bye. You know, thanks, guys. Thanks, man. There's the question of, you know, how does Lucas Perez get into this side? Does Danny mm. Welbeck come back and get into the side? When Coughlin is fit again in two and a half weeks, like they're saying it could be, or two, three weeks is does he just step back in for for Cazorla and now pardon me for Shaka and what about Ramsey and the upside to those questions while they can be scary because we're like don't touch anything it's perfect is that we're not talking about Matthew Flamini stepping in we're not talking about Joel Campbell stepping in you know with with all due respect to Joel Campbell hell we're not even talking about necessarily Olivier Giroud stepping in um but Tim, you know, I guess the best way I could put it is we finished second last season and I pretty much hated every second of last season. Uh, I shouldn't say every second, but a lot of seconds of last yeah, season. Yeah. If we play this way, you know, you're not going to play this way every single game, but if we, we see more of this kind of buckling football all season and come second, or hell, come third, and have all our other results match, knocked out in the round of 16, don't win the FA Cup, don't win the League Cup, come second, but this is the kind of football we're treated to throughout the season... I don't think you're going to hear a lot of people complaining the same way they did last season, do you?
3: No, no, not at all. Because, I mean, the thing is as well, that, that gives you hope, doesn't it? Um, if you're, like like I was saying earlier, the, the Invincibles squad um, was quite flawed in some ways. It wasn't hugely flawed, but there were flaws. Um, it did stumble at the last block a few times, and it took a little while to get over that hurdle, and they lost some games they shouldn't have lost, but people people forgive that well whether they forgive it or whether they forget it either way it's it's you know like I think last night I think that's a game we'll remember all season so but you know in February and March when we come to do these podcasts I'm pretty sure that's going to be a reference point we're going to say do you remember how we played against Basel and actually when you think about it the second half wasn't amazing We, we kept them at arm's length and I think they were a bit more aggressive um, in terms of trying to attack us and trying to close us down, which I think will have been a good test because I think that's what Burnley will do. But you know, the, the second half was nowhere near the first. But I, I don't think people will remember that. And, and you know, kind of bright. I'd say them. the last
1: thirty minutes, last thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah. I think even even the, fir- the start of the second half, we were we were pretty excited. Yeah. And, and Alexis had a few chances. But yeah, the last thirty minutes, we just shut it down.
3: Yeah, exactly. But no one's going to remember that because the quality was so high. Uh, And I agree with you because that that kind of, even if we finish second or third and don't win anything again, but we play like that, it gives you a bit of hope. It makes you think, well, okay, but, um, you know, we can see what's happening here, basically. We can see there's a thread running through this team. It's got an identity again. And lots of people felt, quite rightly, I think, last season that didn't have an identity. And a lot of that was due to injuries as well. I mean, losing your two starting central midfielders in pretty much the same game is, is you know, unfortunate. And most teams don't recover from that and go and win the title. But, and, you know, we've really got to avoid that again. Um, but if, if you can see... Well,
1: but like, just really, really quickly, I mean, you know, this season we actually have replacements that aren't yeah. necessarily a step down, you know. Yeah, the yeah. difference and that also, adding to your
3: squad makes. And also, we have replacements that can come in and do a similar kind of job. Whereas last year, you know, you lose Kazola and Coquelin and you replace them with Ramsey and Flamini. And it's just, it's not, that's not even a question of quality. That's just partnerships that don't work. Whereas you look at last night, Jack a completely different type of player, really, to Coquelin. And you're right, they swapped roles. It was Kazola that was popping up all over the pitch. And, you know, doing that kind of thrusting on bit and Jacka that was just sitting there. Um, so you know that it's it's interesting. I I worry I worry slightly that Alexis up front doesn't make sense without Theo, and I worry about them not really being a wide playmaker if we don't have well, a well-being. Well,
1: but but could but, could I mean could Perez be Theoian at least a yeah. little bit, Lucas? Yeah,
3: yeah, he could he could well be, and that's that's what I'm hoping for really. That actually Lucas and Welbeck, um, you know, assuming he comes back the same or a similar player means that because we spoke about this a bit last season didn't we about the squad maybe it's time to build a squad where you know all of the parts do the same thing so that if someone gets injured someone comes in and does the same job in the same way even if it's not to the same level Mm -hmm. um and we're slightly more towards that um i still fancy we're a wide playmaker short of getting that completely but you know if if we if something happens to Alexis and we've got Lucas Perez and Welbeck to choose from, then we can keep playing the same way. And that's, that's what we're after really. And that that will be the question that's asked of this squad this season.
1: Yeah. It remains to be seen what Lucas's role really is actually. I mean, I, I was yeah. a little surprised that Ox came on instead of Lucas. Yeah. Um, And I realized that the manager would love nothing more than to see Oxlade Chamberlain kick on and, and try to get him going. Cause he's obviously a player. The manager has a lot of time for, But realistically, I don't see too many shoots of recovery there. And if Lucas is going to be an important player, he's going to have to start playing a little bit, um, you know, before he starts to become dismissed as the next Park, you know, who plays in the League Cup and never again. Um, I know he's not that. I'm just, you know, that's how our mindset works. Anyway, it's it's been a delight. I mean, we've got one game before the international break, away matches right before an international break. uh, uh, Pardon me, right after a. Champions League match are are tricky. And before an international break, it's it's going to just take all our focus and professionalism, I think, to keep this run going and go into the break in a really good way. So let's hope that it continues. Uh, Tim, I assume we'll talk to you after the Burnley game?
3: I'm certain you will.
1: Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. You can find Tim on Twitter at Stilberto. And by the time you listen to this, you should have read his article about Theo. And if you haven't, uh, I believe that's going to be your column for Ars Blog, right?
3: That's right, yep.
1: So you'll find it on Ars blog uh, today. When you're listening to this, it'll be there today. So if you haven't read it, go ahead and read it. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give our podcast five stars and then write nasty things about it in the review. It's a really uh, great way for you to get out of your frustrations towards me but to reward these wonderful gentlemen who come on and say great things about the Arsenal. In any case, it's been a blast, and let's hope it continues. We'll talk to you after Birmingham. Cheers. Oh